0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Action Research Podcast. Today we are going to pick up on a wonderful discussion that we started at the end of last season. It's an episode on ethical relationship building built around an article that Joe published. It was a really cool format where our production team were kind of invited into the discussion and had some questions for Joe. If you didn't listen to that episode, I highly recommend you go back and check it out we're going to build off that episode today and continue talking about ethical relationship building. In the last episode, Joe mentioned that ethical relationship building means thinking through how to create socially just power dynamics and relationships and the ways in which you can co-construct that with whoever it is that you're building the relationship with. And that, of course, is important because for action research, it is fundamentally a relational process. So picking up where we left off, I'm going to pass the mic back to you, Joe.
1: Building off of that relational practice, as action researchers, we tend to be relational and have friendships uh, across different projects and different uh, activities. And one of our good friends, uh, Dr. Alfredo Ortiz-Aragon, sent us some really great voice notes about this particular episode and thinking through some of the implications and trying to find different ways to contextualize some of the points we talked about in in last episode because as we know in action research we have to contextualize different principles to make sure that they work in different spaces and he gave us some really good feedback so i think we should play a couple clips from uh, alfredo to continue this conversation
2: Hey guys, I uh, just finished listening to your final episode of the season on ethical relationship. I loved it. It was really, really, really cool. Super insightful. Um, I want to make three comments. One, it's badass. Like, it's freaking amazing. Through through. So none of this is like critique. I'm just like brainstorming about things to add. So, well, one, I guess I'll start from the end. I think when Vanessa challenged the idea, well, I added the positive in, which was really, really good, and then um, said that, no, you can separate and you clarify you cl- you can uh, separate uh emotions from 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 your work in in different ways um and and then you clarify that oh yeah you can but but what I meant is that your strategies need to take into account emotions. um I both are true right but I think there's a, a more gray area that she needs to be pushed back on but for all of us to discuss which is and and you still can't separate them like, like it's, it's good and it's really important what she's bringing up because we need to learn to engage in reflective practice as an actual tool, like really using it purposefully and sometimes using it to kind of, to diffuse our own emotions in key moments. Like it's, it's super important as a tool and yet you just can't do it in the way she's saying you can do it um, uh, continually. And, it, and if the situation is high enough stakes, you still won't be able to, you won't be able to do it, even become as calculated and reflexive as you'd like because you'll get caught in the moment. So... I think, I think there's an interesting point there around, um, yeah, you can through reflective practice. Yeah, you have to uh, take emotions into account when you're designing things, but three, and yet you still can't really control them, nor should you try and separate them because everything is emotion.
1: Like Ortiz said, I mean, you can't, you know, and I think Vanessa, if you want to hop in on this, I think that there is a way to create a little bit of distance between your emotion and your thinking In order for the emotions to not control what it is that is happening inside of you, that doesn't mean they don't inform what is happening inside of you, but it does mean that, you know, if you can create some space where your emotions are informing how you are going about making decisions, your affect towards others, how you're thinking about the particular issue there is a space that can be created there that is important but that doesn't mean that the emotions aren't driving you you know there was a study that i read about a long long time ago so i can't cite it because this was like in an undergrad and the um there was some psych- psychological experiment that somehow somebody's kind of emotional center was removed from their executive processing center and because they weren't able to, you know, this temporary disconnection, they felt very aimless, like there's no direction in their lives. And I think Ortiz said that uh, as well, is we need emotions to drive our decision-making. If we don't have any emotions, then we don't really have that primary or that primal impulse, um, you know, that basic impulse to do things. But at the same time, we also know that if emotions are too strong and they get out of control, then people can be destructive or not thoughtful or make um, decisions or t- or um, take steps that are ill-advised. And so it's really about navigating and negotiating our relationship with our emotions. I think that's the, that's his point. And I think that... You know, we don't want to look at it as like an either or or black or white thing. And I think that Ortiz's point about a gray area is important. And I would even push that further to talk about how, you know, people, we, we can see things in black and white, we can see things in gray, or we can see things in color. And I think that if we can have a relationship with our emotions in color, understanding that we need to understand and live our emotions while also not letting them dominate our decision making. Um, there are different ways to go about doing it, and we can separate. We can't, and and you know, and maybe the word "separate" is the wrong word, right? So maybe it's we can create spaces. We can create spaces for thinking, or we can adjust the power dynamics, which we'll talk about in terms of a relationship. But I think that you know. There are a lot of philosophies that say, um, you know, the microcosm is a reflection of the macrocosm. And in some respects, our personal microcosm, if we're thinking through our relationships of our internal emotions and our identities and our thinking processes and our theoretical frameworks and we can understand all of those, we can build and think through how to engage in strategies to engage in ethical relationship building. And it helps us to have ethical relationship with ourselves and with our emotions. And so understanding that, you know, there's there's a color spectrum of how to engage in emotions and being able to see all of those colors and think through how to work with all of the different ways in which our emotions play a role in our um decision making processes is is really important and that really ties into reflexivity and um and i think that you know for me that's one of the reasons why ethical relationship building is founded on reflexivity and we know that ortiz you know and then just following up on a second point which we should play in a second um you know ortiz talks about that and what you know how important is reflexivity in addition to other facets of ethical relationship building. So we should play that role too, And unless, Vanessa, you want to add anything.
3: Yeah, I, I did want to add. Ortiz was saying that I needed to be pushed back on um, saying that you can separate emotions. Um, and I think my point was just that. And I completely agree that it is a enormously colorful spectrum. And especially what you were saying in terms of reflexivity. Um, I was actually thinking about what Adam said in the last episode about how he was navigating including reflective practice and centering that more. And as far as I know, actually documenting reflective practice is a really complex activity. In my research anyway, the role of emotion is largely underestimated, especially in like leadership and change. Like We all agree that emotions are complex and that they inform or can influence the decisions that we make. They can be really powerful, but there's not a lot of evidence to support what that looks like in reflective practice. And I guess my point was that there is a degree of control that you can have, I think, with really transparent, regular, reflective, reflexive practice, you're flexing or exercising that muscle which i think many people are not as familiar with in terms of really sitting down with your emotions and understanding them and really engaging with them so that when you experience it you are much more aware of what the emotion is how it's informing your decisions so that you have a much more kind of grounded understanding of your own emotions in a relational setting so that you can better approach building ethical relationships with others because you have this sense of self-awareness regarding your own emotions that is a foundation for helping you understand others and better balancing your emotions with and in relation to others.
1: You're talking about like controlling emotions and being aware of emotions and how there are different techniques and tactics, reflexivity being one of them, um, but other things like journaling and other ways of... I'm um, engaging in this reflexive process to understand and be aware of the emotions and work with them. And we know that in leadership studies, emotions are not understood as deeply or as subtly or as thoughtfully as they need to be in order to understand how to navigate change processes and all those kinds of things right
3: and i am agreeing with the general concept that there's a spectrum of color and that it's not black and white and that with concerted effort understanding your own emotion can actually be a really powerful tool for Building relationships with others and research practices.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about that as like a power dynamic rather than necessarily like a separation. I think that could be a more subtle way to put it. And, you know, thanks Alfredo for the, the very insightful comment of like looking at how to make this a more subtle point and contextualize it. And it's a really good point that he made. Do you
0: guys mind if I hop in with a question? Sure. I really like this conversation. I find it really fascinating. For me personally, it's a little bit abstract, right? This idea of like how emotions emerge in practice and the sort of practical things that we as action researchers need to either be aware of or intentional about or enacting in practice. Do either of you perhaps Um, Have an example to share um, with me and our audience about like the sort of practical lens of how emotions can manifest um, in the field or in our research and the ways in which you've had to uh, navigate emotional, this emotional spectrum to tie back to the the purpose of um, your
1: research. Absolutely. I've got lots of them. Vanessa, do you have any that you want to?
3: Yeah. I I could talk about my most recent one, doing my comps. That was a really fraught and emotional process for me because I focused way too much on putting myself within the work instead of, what are you saying, Joe?
1: I think that this is a really important point that you're going to make, but I think Adam's question is more about like in the research process itself and what you're sharing, I think should be really useful later. That's all based on what I think you're going to say.
3: Well, I was just going to say that because of that being an emotional process, which to me is part of the action research process, because I see action research as micro and macro, like everything that I do towards this action research project is part of action research. I'm learning, I'm doing cycles of reflexivity and action and reflection the whole way through every day. I think about my research and I reflect on what I can do differently and I try something new. So in defending my comps and in conversations about them, despite all of the weight of the emotion of feeling like I didn't have it in me to do this, I was able to hold those emotions back in conversations with Joe and the other people on my committee. Instead of letting those emotions come out to the degree that I was feeling them, I'm aware of it, but I'm not letting it impact the way that I engage with others.
0: I think that's insightful. I think that, that, yeah, indeed that relates to like your comps and not necessarily like field processes, but yeah, I do think it's all part of the same action research process. And perhaps that's a takeaway that you can bring into the field, right? Like, because we often go into the field with um, some sort of preconceived notion of how something's going to go, which of course evokes some sort of emotion. And then when you're in the moment, it's not always like that, right? So being able to adapt and sort of, Certainly not bury your emotions, but recognize that, um, you know, that spectrum is starting to arise to the surface and navigate that, I think, is um, an interesting point and something that perhaps could relate to um, when you are, you know, quote unquote, in the field.
3: The importance of that, though, is that from what Ortiz said was that. Emotion is everywhere. It's in everything that we do. You cannot separate it from just your existence. So taking that experience of a very ripe emotional experience will impact the way that I navigate the relationships that I want to build with young people navigating an educational change movement. That's like, that is the learning part of it. It's not separate from the context. Do you know what I mean?
1: And I want to add an example, too, um, because I think that this is, you're absolutely right, Vanessa, about how learning how to do that, you can bring to lots of other spaces. And I think that, you know, this is something that we learn how to do in all of our interactions, right? Emotions run through any interpersonal interaction for a variety of reasons. And I think that for me at least, when we're talking about action research and we're talking about building relationships, we will have emotional reactions to a variety of things. And I can think of a number of examples when emotions in two projects, one Vanessa was a part of, and another one in, in Peru, when, you know, the the emotions are, are omnipresent and, and recognizing your own emotions so that you can understand where they're coming from and you can let them inform your choices but not drive your choices is really important in taking the beat. So one example that I can think of, and, and you know, I think Vanessa, you could probably build off of this one too, um, just because I think it'll add... You know I think what you said was really insightful and we can add even more insight to that in in the field is when we are working on this school change process and we have Vanessa and I have been working with a, a number of other team members, including Lisa, who appeared on our podcast as a friend of the podcast, Dr. Lisa Starr. When people present about change and there is one particular individual who You know, it was a well-established guy who um, is really driving this process for school change because he has a particular vision, and he gets really excited about what it is that he's doing, and he likes to talk about it a lot. And that's fair because it's his project. You know, this is his like this is a project that he's really passionate about. Sometimes that can be a really powerful way to get people interested and excited about the project because school change requires a certain amount of buy-in and consensus from a whole lot of people. Sometimes he gets overexcited or he gets on a roll where he lets the kind of emotion of his vision dominate the conversation and then people get turned off by it and he you know he as a somebody who may not have been thinking about emotion you you know we do research we've been doing research on kind of the interpersonal dynamics of some of this stuff and we've gotten reports back that people feel like this is an ego project and he would not see it as an ego project for himself he thinks that it's a really important way to change the school and so when somebody's emotion, so that's a third person example, but we have data to support that somebody's emotions get kind of dominate the way in which you engage in a process. It may take up too much space for other people to feel involved um, so you know the flip side of what Vanessa's saying with her really great reflexivity about how to be aware of one's emotions and feel them but also not let them um dominate the reaction that you know she's having in this in this space of the comps the flip side you know this is why it's so colorful emotions are so colorful the flip side is if you have strong emotions and you're in a position of power to try to do something and you let those emotions dominate you could actually harm the process of action research Another example, which is happens in Peru sometimes, is you know being an outsider insider. When I was first starting out in Peru and trying to build these relationships, you know, it was a lot of fun and there's a lot of joking around a lot of the times. But also, it was a you know there's some discomfort and and some you know fear that I was doing something that was a mistake or that I was doing something that was culturally insensitive. And so I was very, you know, I had a lot of emotion about like doing something wrong or like making a mistake or stepping on somebody's toes and all of those emotions. If I had let those emotions dominate, I would have been frozen. I wouldn't have done anything, but I was able to be reflective about those emotions and be like, all right, I understand why I'm, I'm worried about making a mistake or I'm scared of doing something that's culturally insensitive. And that's really important. But also, I need to be able to move forward without letting those emotions dominate. And if I do make a mistake, just have the grace and the humility to be like, sorry, I'll do better next time. And, you know, open myself up to that kind of feedback. So I could be like, hey, like, you know, we're, you know, we're, we had a great time talking about things and now we're, you know, we shared a meal together and, you know, and now we're like trying to get into this project and and now power dynamics are starting where it's like, all right, whose voice is going to be heard? How are we going to move forward? You know, there's disagreement within the community about something and here I am and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do and I have a lot of, you know, feelings of, Worry and fear that I'm going to do something wrong, but if I let that take over, then I'm not going to be able to act in a way that will also be relational. And so, having that kind of space is really important. And I think that you know those three examples: Vanessa's example, uh, the example of our colleague and friend who gets overexcited, and then my example of kind of trying to negotiate. Emotions along with understanding what happens with conflict or what happens in decision-making processes and what happens in power because all of those things relate to emotion. Having that ability to reflect on those emotions, what's going on inside of you, and understanding how to navigate that with others, um, you know, in terms of not letting it dominate the decision-making process is really, really valuable to move something forward. And in my experience... When emotions start to dominate conversations, those that's when, you know, when especially when negative emotions. But even positive emotions need to have come with a grain of salt. When emotions dominate the conversation without it being balanced, like having the emotions but not having the emotions take over, that's when projects start to run into problems.
0: Thanks, Joe and Vanessa. Those were both really um, awesome examples and definitely offers more clarity for me joe i want to respond to your third one really quick and see what you think about something that i've been kind of marinating on myself um throughout my research and in and, and my professional work too at the Indian alliance but it has to do with this like idea of our own positionality as action researchers and how that is separate what to what extent that's separate from those of us in which we're working with because as we know you know action research is inherently collaborative and i think one of like the defining characteristics something that i spoke about quite a bit um in the introduction of my dissertation had to do with this idea that like what one of the reasons why i gravitate towards an action research approach is it because it it's sort of like it, it moves past this idea that there's a separation between researcher and those being researched, right? Like a subject of study, which is a little bit more of a traditional angle, I think. And in action research is this collaborative approach and participatory approach where you're engaging with the people who are quote unquote, you know, participating in the research. However, when going circling back to like what that means emotionally, I feel as though there is a delineation there because as an action research, someone who is facilitating a program or has this macro level vision that perhaps isn't shared, at least initially with those in which you're working with, that evokes different emotions, right? Because all of a sudden you're taking on more risk, right? You see it as, uh, like you said, like there's ways that you could screw something up. And then I often remember that like, perhaps the people that I'm working with, you know, they're, they're taking a different macro level view or have a different worldview of this situation. And we're trying to reach this sort of, place in which we're sharing this vision Um, but i do think that there's always going to be some sort of emotional disconnect with respect to being the action researcher again quote unquote that one who's sort of facilitating the process and those around you and i think that that's important to recognize and perhaps reflect on when it relates to um, what emotions are being involved in this shared space Um, do you ever consider that sort of separation in your research joe
1: yeah, we talk about that a lot, especially in the like, building the principles for action research. I do want to let Vanessa jump back in in case she has something she wants to add, but I, I'll uh, continue that after.
3: I wanted to talk about the fact that some of the things that were brought up in this last little se- segue made emotion and understanding personal emotion seem like an only internal process with yourself. My position on that is that that's something you can engage with others, especially in regards to what you're talking about, Adam. And as a person in my research, I'm just jumping into the relationship building part of my research. I'm jumping into a school. I haven't really made initial forays into relationship building. So I'm right at that precipice. And the way that I'm thinking about it is there's me as a researcher As an action researcher, for example, and I'm going into a new setting, I will have lots of emotions like anticipation and being really excited about finally getting to do work with people and sharing that with others. So, you know, going, this is like a hypothetical example. So I go into a meeting with a group of kids who are going to be maybe interested in talking about educational change with me. I conceptualize the emotional part of that as. Me understanding that I'm very excited, and also talking to youths about what that's like for me, and building a foundation for them in being vulnerable with the emotions that I'm having, for them to hopefully feel vulnerable with me, and for them to engage in conversations about that specific thing with me as well. So it's not just something that you do individually, I think it's something that you do with others and in relation with others because that builds the kind of trust that you want for ethical relationship building.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, I think, I think that uh, for me, you know, emotions are, and I think one of our kind of Western paradigms that it's problematic is that emotions are shared. They're not individual. And I know Vanessa has things to say about that as well um, that are quite insightful. Um, so I think that the way in which we engage in interpersonal dynamics is that we often share emotions i mean i think that most people can recognize that if you're in a room and you're having a conversation with people there's a shared emotion when things are when uh you know things are going good and everybody's having a good time um and there's also when somebody comes in and they're um a bit grumpy or they're a bit angry that can be a contagious emotion you know emotions are not something that are purely individual and and one's positionality can also spark different emotions too you know there's a different emotion you get for example at least for me i can you know one of the problems with sharing like thinking through shared emotions is that we can then also in unjust power dynamics project emotions on people that they don't actually have so we can't assume that everybody's having the same emotion but we can know that there are possibilities for shared emotions anyway the point that i was going to make is you know there's a difference in feeling when you see somebody that you know and you're good friends with after a long time versus coming into a room versus a complete stranger depending on who you are you might see the complete stranger with a bit of suspicion, or you might see it with a bit of open curiosity, or you might see the complete stranger somebody who isn't necessarily going to become part of this particular interaction that you're having. It depends on where you're at and what your emotions are, and so your emotions affect your interpretation of what's happening. Uh, you know, same thing can be true about the friend that you have had for many, many years. It could be like, oh, great, it's so great to see this person. Oh, oh, I'm in the middle of a action research project. I don't have time for that. And so those are both thoughts, but those are thoughts that are informed by feelings. And those feelings could either be like happiness or exasperation or concern or anxiety. Um, or it could be like feelings of comfort and... Uh, reconnection or feelings of, you know, like, now I have to navigate more things. Lots of feelings happen when people are, you know, engaging in in activities that matter to them, and being aware of all those kind of micro differences with feelings can be very helpful to understand kind of what you need to navigate, because usually, because in my experience... Feelings and emotions are responses to environmental stimuli, my own objectives and goals and my thoughts. Um, and so there's they're interactive. They are not, you know, you don't have the same emotion to the same stimuli in every context. The context will determine that. You know, if I see my parents... In the middle of an action research project, I may feel differently about seeing them than if I see them when I'm coming back to the house to visit them. Um, you know, so our the context of our emotion, the context of our situation and our goals will affect our emotions and recognizing that and not losing sight of and not forgetting the goals that we have, our awareness. And our concentration is really, really important to make sure that we can respond to that um, in a, in a way that's important. So, for example, you know, just in this particular conversation, I wanted to make sure that I didn't derail Vanessa's voice because that is a goal that I have is to make sure that um, you know you all have the opportunity to speak as much as. Um, as, you, as you need to, to, to get your point across. And I also realized that I thought that Vanessa was going to go in a direction that seemed different than what I had understood. And so I interrupted. And I was navigating both of those um, potentially conflicting objectives in terms of how I was going to interact with Vanessa. And so, you know, in this particular moment, it was, you know, one, respecting and honoring what she had to say, because it was important, and also saying, is this exactly what I understood? Because I could also be wrong. And one of the things that is really helpful when we start to think about um, navigating emotions is that emotions give us a sense of certainty that empirical reality doesn't necessarily reflect. And it's really important to ask questions when you feel certain kinds of ways, especially about what's happening, to ask questions. um, And give opportunities for response, because that's how you build ethical relationships. Instead of trying to project like, you know, if I, I could have thought like, oh, Vanessa's wrong here, and I could have acted like Vanessa was wrong, And that would have probably created a negative emotion in Vanessa in a way that wouldn't have fostered a more uh, transparent and open relationship or I could have asked the question. And so I tried to ask the question instead and also give a chance for response. And that kind of thing in Action Research Project is essential. And I think that is the fundamental thing when we're talking about reflexivity. And reflexivity in relation to building relationships. like, Are you asking a question or are you making a statement? Our, re- our emotions often make us feel the need to make statements when we might actually be wanting to ask questions, but also asking questions with the context of understanding where our assumptions are coming from.
3: Can I interrupt? Yes. Okay, so I think this is actually a great example, Joe, because as we know, interpersonal dynamics are laced with lots of power. Joe is my supervisor, and because we have an ongoing relationship, we've known each other for six years. We've gotten comfortable talking to each other, and I feel like I am safe to push back on the things that Joe says, and I know that's not going to impact me, but that's because of the relationship we've built. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, absolutely.
3: Okay, so going forward, I, in this moment as you were talking, um, I was thinking about the way that you were phrasing giving me space to share insightful comments about emotion and those particular words in relation to us and the implied power dynamics between you and I because you in just because you're my supervisor have the capacity to give me space or take it away and. This is kind of learned behavior that is kind of institutionalized. Um, So there's a lot of power that you hold in our relationship, no matter what I do, that I am consciously and constantly aware of that I am always navigating in spaces with you. And for me, like, there's this kind of, I don't know, shadow of... Um, hesitation or like when you when you texted in the side chat and you were like I'm not sure this question I think this question is more about the research process it interrupted my flow Adam also interrupted my flow earlier but like this is more about me being used to that and also having the inf- the reflex reaction like oh no I'm wrong which is which feeds the like feeds my imposter demon. <laughs> it's like you uh you don't know anything, you're wrong about things, you're um the like you've missed, you've misunderstood again what's being asked of you. Um so I think that's also just it's just a really good example of how micro emotions are and how in my example of the um, comp defense my overall point was just that since emotions feed into everything, the work that we have to do as researchers to engage with ourselves and, and, our emotions and with others is really important and really overlooked and can be taken down to this very micro level of a simple conversation between you and I that lasts an exchange of like three minutes can have really deep emotional impacts on, you know maybe I'll be thinking about that for the rest of the day. You know, uh, I won't, but. <laughs> um, that just popped into my mind as an important thing to address in, I don't know, in, as a live example of the influence of emotion in general, regular exchanges between one another.
1: Yeah, and, um, and I think that that's super important because that's exactly what we're talking about in every context and every space that we're in when it comes to research or action research or supervision um and these micro things that's you know that's really important because those are the ways to build a team and build consensus and build a positive relational dynamic or or slowly break it down and there's a responsibility for those in power to be very very thoughtful about what it is that they're doing because they the people in power usually have an outsized effect on people um even if it's institutional you know especially when it's institutional power you know as the researcher as the outsider as you know the person who has these various degrees of power in different ways to to be very thoughtful about that and there's also responsibility because power is not static and it's also not black and white, and it's also not gray, but it's colorful. So different power to do and to act on different things. Um, You know, like, that's really important to think about when engaging in building ethical relationships. Um, And then there's also, and I just want to add this too, because I think it's really important, it's also our responsibility you know, assuming a role of power. And I think a lot of ways I assume in this podcast and in these kinds of dynamics, because I am in this particular position, assuming that, you know, I that there is a role of power that needs to be navigated with emotions and with decision-making and how to, to create ethical relationships when you have power. Um, and, you know, that's may or may not always be true in every situation, you know, for me, for everybody. And it depends on their identities and it depends on their positionalities. And it depends upon the dynamic and the context. So there's also a responsibility in my mind to be able to navigate, you know, what happens when you receive some kind of interaction that makes you feel a negative emotion too. And Vanessa really... Highlighted the ability and the need to, do and and how important it is to be able to do that. And she showed the how that really allows her, you know, allowed her to be successful in her candidacy papers, but also thinking through how to, you know, navigate some of these other feelings that could happen, these kind of more long-term feelings like imposter syndrome that happens a lot in research and in academia, um, but also the resilience and. The ability to recognize um, that if to 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 recognize the emotions, so you don't get lost in them, and so that you can navigate away from those to make sure that you stay successful, and then, in fact, you're not an imposter. So, yeah, we got on a nice tangent here. Do you have anything else you want to talk about with this stuff, Adam?
0: It's clear that this is important based on the conversation that we've been having, but I'd want to put myself in the shoes of our listeners in the seats of our listeners if you will and like kind of push back on the so what does this mean for me in practice sort of thing like right like why why is from a practical standpoint and maybe we don't feel free to push back maybe that we don't have to make practical sense of this but that's just kind of where my mind goes um but like you know for a graduate student or someone learning about action research or somebody engaging with action research. Why should I be paying attention to this stuff, and what does that mean for my research? I had two takeaways um, in listening to that awesome discussion, but for me, like one of like the practical things that jumped out to me as far as um, recognizing our emotions while doing action research had to do with it being an avenue to better understand where we need to navigate, and similarly. You mentioned how it gives us insight to what questions we should be asking and to me that's really useful right because if you are being attention if you are paying attention to your emotions whether they be positive or negative there is a next logical practical step there right there's something there right that you either need to capture or expound upon or reel back in or address or document or reflect on or take action Right. I think that there is like a next logical, practical step here when it comes to our emotional understanding and um, reflectivity, frankly. So um, that was just like the last point that I wanted to make. And I'm curious what um, the rest of you think.
1: I think that's an excellent point. I think you really hit the nail on the head because it is about the practical, like the emotions in my mind, emotions are fundamentally practical. And for our listeners, do you think you could repeat what it is that you said in terms of the practical implications of what you took? Because I thought that was really, really insightful. Yeah, sure.
0: For me, and I'm just reiterating what came, what I understood or what came out of the conversation that you all were having, but um, we spoke about how being in touch with our emotions is important because it's helpful to understand better what we need to navigate in our research process. And similarly, how it gives us insight to what questions we should be asking, right? Those are they're similar points, right? But they're, it, it all leads to this sort of like next practical step in, in practice, right? And the things that we are actually doing and the, the questions that we need to be asking, um, the areas that we need to be um, continuing to explore or address or reflect on um, or just kind of pull out or take action. That, that that to me is the sort of practical element of this and um i just think that's important to consider especially for our audience who's out there in the field when certain emotions are evoked you know ask yourself okay so now what right whether it's a positive emotion or a, a negative emotion feel it own it react to it but then put your practitioner hat back on and ask yourself, now what? And, and, and there is a next step, I think. And, and that's where you really start getting into the, the nitty gritty and the messiness and frankly, how you make advancements in your field research.
1: This is a great conversation. Thank you, Vanessa, for sharing all of that. Adam, thanks for bringing it back to the practical because I think you added a key element that was really important to those practitioners to be like, all right, so, you know, I don't want people to be like, oh, it's all touchy feely stuff and like navel gazing or whatever because there's actually very real practical, pragmatic implications for understanding these things, understanding. The emotional dynamics and power dynamics so that you can then go all right now what or here's what i need to navigate or here's how i we can find deeper problems to address when we see these things so i think adam that was a really good point and the questions that you asked were really great um and and uh vanessa thanks again for uh, engaging in that conversation because this is your research, you know, I think you're making great strides in your research agenda on this particular facet. Um, so great conversation, everybody.
0: That wraps up this episode. Thanks everybody for listening in. Hope you found this, um, conversation insightful and engaging and, um, make sure to keep listening as we have some really awesome conversations planned for the rest of the season. That's a wrap. Thanks everybody.